This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Today I want to talk for a few minutes on the topic of trauma. Now this will be much more of a teaching lesson than preaching. We will be in Psalm 6. We'll look at Psalm 6. But if you'd like to take some notes, I would encourage you to. I hope that this will be practical for you as it relates to a biblical view of trauma. So much is said about trauma in, uh, in our world. There are a lot of ways to look at that, I guess, and consider what it is, what it is not, and how we can address it. But thankfully, the Bible has a lot to say about it. And I want to spend a few minutes talking about that today. And again, my hope today is that this will be a help to you. I, uh, I, I still spend a lot of time running but I started running when I, was, uh, when I was pretty young. I have been a runner most of my life. The first time I ever competed, though, and really I haven't competed a lot, but the very first time that I competed running was a fourth-grade track meet. So a lot of competition there. That track meet was our elementary school, and it was the qualifier for the regional track meet. I lived in Anaheim, California, a big city, and so this is an elementary thing. And um, I qualified to go to the regional track meet because the girl who beat me was a year younger than me. So... <laughs> so that was cool, um, but I qualified, and so I went to the regional track meet, and it was awesome, uh, got there, I noticed that that girl was not there, so I thought I had a pretty good chance of winning, and I was excited about that, this was in a, a large stadium, uh, kind of a junior college stadium in Southern California, there in Anaheim, and it was awesome, uh, I was wearing my brand new New Balance tennis shoes, yeah, they were really cool. So they were cool, then they weren't cool, now they're cool again, but I was there on the first wave when they were cool the first time. My brand new New Balance running shoes, my cousin was a triathlete, so he gave me some grapefruit flavored powder to put in water, I don't really know what it was, but I knew it would make me faster, so I was excited about that. There were a lot of good things going on, and uh, I was ready. I was going to run the 440, that's one time around the track, and I was excited because they put me on the outside lane, which meant I started ahead. I was winning before we even started that thing. There was a huge crowd there, parents from all over the place, a lot of kids from a lot of different schools. That gun fired, and we took off, and I was in the lead, and it was amazing. Then we came around that first corner, and I wasn't in the lead anymore. Can I get a witness? Yeah, it was a, it was a rough day. And uh, I was running as hard as I possibly could, as fast as I possibly could. There's a reason I do long-distance events now and not fast events. I was running as fast as I could, and I was getting further and further and further behind. I did not know until that day, and this was fourth grade, I learned early, I didn't know until that day that you could be angry and sad and depressed and cry all at the same time. I found out, I was so mad, my parents were watching, I had some family members there, some extended family members, but as I came around that last corner into the straightaway, I was so far behind that all of the other kids were done running. Now, when I talked this morning about wanting to punch some people in the face, right, sometimes encouraging people, they need to stop being so encouraging. I still remember coming around the corner, and there's all these parents on the fence line, and they're saying, you can do it, you can do it, you're doing great, you're doing great. I was in fourth grade, I knew I wasn't doing great. <laughs> they were lying to me, and I knew they were lying to me, but they were trying to be encouraging. This is crazy. I told the story one time preaching, and my parents were sitting here, and I got done afterwards, and they're like, I don't even remember that happening. I'm like, thanks. Thanks, Mom and Dad. Appreciate that. <laughs> it's crazy, the, the weird stuff that sticks in our minds, right? I, I've been, I'm 47 years old. I've been running my whole life. 
rarely do I bend down to tie my tennis shoes to get ready to go for a run that that day doesn't pop into my mind. It was one of those weird traumatic events that sticks in your heart, right? And my parents don't even remember it, so that makes it even more traumatic, which is really awesome. But it's amazing the stuff that we go through and the things that we do and how those things sometimes hit us in a really weird way. And even the thought of them kind of makes us a little bit sick to our stomach. Trauma is a funny thing. Now, I've learned over the years that uh, losing a fourth grade track meet is not the most traumatic thing that can happen to you. It's just something that I remember. I've had other things happen since then and other things that I've had to deal with. But one thing that I have come to recognize is that all of us, regardless of our background, regardless of whether we served in the military or did not serve in the military, all of us have and will experience trauma. For all of you that have been in the military, are in the military, this is something you need to just get a hold of and and hang on to. Trauma is not reserved for the military veteran. Here in the United States, we've almost overcorrected a little bit. We've come out of the Vietnam era and all of the horrible things we did to our service members coming home in that era. We've almost overcorrected to the point where now veterans have taken on this identity of trauma. And so we've identified with this brokenness and we feel as though people need to look at us as broken because we served in the military. We live in a grateful nation. America is a wonderful place and it's so good to our veterans and I'm so thankful that it is. But what that has allowed veterans to do often is say, we are the only ones who have ever experienced trauma. Talk to a young lady that's been sexually assaulted and tell her that. Uh, Children growing up in some horrible, horrible situations, spouses abused for years. Trauma is not reserved for the military veteran. And, And that has to be our starting point, our baseline. So what that means today is that you have experienced trauma, I would imagine, to one degree or another. Maybe you've dealt with it well. Maybe you haven't. If you have, continue to do that. But know there are people in your sphere, there are people in your world that need help. There are people that need to be encouraged. There are people that have experienced trauma that haven't done a good job with that. Maybe you're one of those people, but you've disqualified yourself because you don't think your trauma is as bad as someone else's. We're going to talk about all of that today, but that has to be our starting point. The simple act of birth, I mentioned this in the first service, is traumatic. (laughs) Giving birth is traumatic. I know it's bad for the mom, I've been told, but it's definitely bad for the dad. I have four children. I thought my wife liked me. That's why we have four children. Because I thought she liked me. (laughs) People always say, do you like kids? No, I just like my wife. (laughs) But when she's giving birth, I am the worst person on the planet. It's traumatic. traumatic for her, it's traumatic for the baby, and then there's a life of trauma following that. This is life. All of us go through difficult things. If we use the clinical criteria of trauma and post-traumatic stress disorder, we learn a few things. One of the things is that an estimated 70% of adults in the United States have experienced a traumatic event at least once in their lives, 70%. And up to 20% of these people go on to develop post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. An estimated 5% of Americans, more than 13 million people, have post-traumatic stress at any given time. 
Approximately 8% of all adults, one of 13 people in, the country, in, in this country, will, de- uh, will develop PTSD during their lifetime. An estimated 1 out of 10, 10 women will get PTSD at some point in their lives. Women are about twice as likely as men to develop post-traumatic stress disorder. And I share those statistics, again, not to diminish anyone's service, but just to help us understand this is not unusual or odd. We talk about destigmatizing things all the time, right? We like to talk about normalizing and destigmatizing. We need to understand that experiencing difficulty in our life is not unusual or odd. If you experience trauma, that's because you're human, and that's okay. We look to the Bible and we understand that there are so many examples even throughout Scripture. We'll talk about a number, but I draw your attention to Psalm number 6, the 6th Psalm. David is speaking. He's really crying out to God, O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are vexed. My soul is also sore vexed, but thou, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, deliver my soul. O save me for thy mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of thee. In the grave who shall give thee thanks? I am weary with my groaning all the night. Make I my bed to swim. I water my couch with tears. Mine eye is consumed because of grief. It waxeth old because of all mine enemies. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. For the Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord hath heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all mine enemies be ashamed and sore vexed. Let them return and be ashamed suddenly. Look at verse number five, uh, verse number six. I am weary with my groaning. All the night I make my bed to swim. I water my couch with tears. This was a guy who had been through an awful lot, a man who had experienced trauma and a man who in the midst of all of that is trying to process it. He cries out to God. He's crying out for mercy, but he expresses it in a way I think many of us can connect to. He says, I can't sleep because I water my bed all night with tears. I lay in my bed so overwhelmed with grief that I cry. This sixth psalm, many look at as a psalm that expresses David's connection to what we would call post-traumatic stress, crying out to God. So many other examples we could look to in Scripture. We often think this is a modern phenomenon or something we've just identified. Imagine the trauma of creation and the fall. I mean, think about it. God creates man in his own image out of the dust of the ground. Has a personal relationship with Adam and Eve. The Bible indicates that every day at a given time, God would commune face to face with Adam and Eve. A perfect relationship in a perfect environment. And then mankind decides to rebel against the word of God. And in response to that, sin enters the human race. And God has to put Adam and Eve outside of the garden. Death enters our communal relationship. Imagine the trauma of that. 
Imagine the regret that Adam and Eve must have had, the the conversations that they had, the blame that they would focus one toward another when they were alone at night, uh, trying to eke a living out of the ground and and doing things they had never had to do before and feeling things they had never felt before and experiencing sin and and the guilt and the shame that comes with that. Imagine the trauma that's so overwhelming in their lives. What about being the first parents who found a child murdered by another one of your children? You talk about traumatic. The first man and woman, their son murdered their other son. The trauma that would have come with that again, the guilt and the grief. We make our way through the book of Genesis not very far, and the Bible tells us that mankind was only evil continually. A man named Noah comes onto the scene. We like to put the picture of Noah's Ark in our nurseries with the animals. Maybe there's a rainbow. It's a happy scene. Perhaps, in my mind, the most traumatic scene in all of the Bible is that of the flood. As Noah pleads with his friends and his neighbors for 120 years to get right with God, and they reject him, they mock him. Eventually, God brings the animals and brings Noah and his family into the ark, and he closes that door so they can't open it, and the water begins to fall, and the flood begins to come, and those neighbors, those friends who rejected him, now understand what it was all about. Can you imagine being on the inside of that ark and hearing your friends and neighbors beg you, screaming from the outside to let you in, and you can't open the door? I wonder if he heard them trying to hang on to the side of that ark and maybe banging and screaming, Noah, please let us in, we're dying, and then eventually the silence. Is it any wonder that we fast forward the story of Noah and find him making some pretty bad decisions? We would call it self-medicating today, trying to numb out his pain. Maybe he was just trying to forget the trauma. David, we've looked at here in the sixth psalm, but So much of his experience with Bathsheba and then killing a friend and all that was surrounded in that. One bad decision after another. We come finally to the great trauma that Jesus Christ, our Savior, endured for us. If we're trying to understand that trauma is normal, then we have to also accept that the only person, perfect person who ever lived on this earth, Jesus Christ, our Savior, endured incredible trauma. In the process of paying the price for our sin, Luke chapter 22 and verse 42, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. That's our Savior. Isn't it interesting how we disqualify ourselves (laughs) from something that even Jesus Christ, our Savior, had to endure? So many people will not get the help that they need. They won't acknowledge that they need help or that they could be helped. Because they think that somehow they're different than everyone else who's ever lived on this planet, including Jesus Christ. Trauma is something that comes to all of us. But understanding that doesn't really help us. I had just gotten my driver's license 
and uh, my parents got me a 1989 Buick Century. Anyone remember the 1989 Buick Century? It's like kind of from there to about here. It's a big car. <laughs> I loved it, though. Um, it had a cassette player in it, and I was driving out of my neighborhood, and I had to have some tunes, so I got out the cassette, the one that I owned, the only one that I owned, the only one that my dad would let me own. And uh, it was actually probably a PCC ensemble, to be honest with you, because the only kind of music I was allowed to listen to. And I dropped it on the floor, and as I was trying to drive out of my neighborhood, I reached down to pick it up. I had been driving for like two weeks. And I hit the curb and blew out one of my tires. Uh, It wasn't a terrible accident or anything, but I was standing there. I had no idea what to do. I was probably standing there just like this looking at it. My grandparents lived down the street from us. I remember my grandfather pulling up in his Dodge Dynasty and uh, pulled up, rolled (laughs) rolled the window down, Looked out across from where he was, across the passenger side window, and said, looks like you got a flat tire, son. And then rolled the window up and kept driving. That was my grandfather. (laughs) He believed in that tough love stuff, you know? So it's like, thanks. A lot of these conversations can be just like that. We can say, all right, I know there's a problem, but what do I do about it? Thank you. There's a problem. Looks like you had a tire, (laughs) a flat tire. So what do we do about it? Once we've accepted that this is a normal part of life, that it touches all of us, that even though we may have dealt with it well or are dealing with it well, there are people that need our help. How do we move through this? I want to give you some thoughts today on how we can work through this together. Number one, this is very important. We need to settle on a definition. Settle on a definition. To me, this is critical. And this is where a lot of us miss it. One of the reasons we struggle so much to deal with trauma is because we have a hard time defining exactly what we're talking about. We can come to the conclusion, if we have the wrong definition, that we either don't need help because what we're dealing with doesn't fall within this definition, or those people can't help me. So we separate ourselves from help. My trauma is not really what they're talking about when they say trauma, so I don't deserve help. Or my trauma is so bad and so clinically sound within this context of the definition that those people over there can't help me. This is often why people would reject the help from a church or a pastor, a biblical counselor. Because they'll say something like, well, there is a clinical definition of trauma. And if you're not trained to deal with that, then you can't help me. Or, again, there is a clinical definition of trauma. That's not what I have, so I guess I just need to grit my teeth and get through it. A definition is nothing more than a bridge that helps us get to a solution. Definitions are important because a definition is nothing more than a bridge that helps us to get to a solution. We need to define terms so we know what we're aiming for. Otherwise, we're on an island all by ourselves. There is a clinical definition, and it's important, and it's helpful. The Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, version 5, defines trauma this way. Exposure to death, threatened death, actual or threatened serious injury, or actual or threatened sexual violence. That's a great definition. Trauma, exposure to death, threatened death, actual or threatened serious injury, or actual or threatened sexual violence. 
That's a great definition, but here's my problem with it. Here's my challenge with it. And again, I'm not speaking to you as a clinician or a therapist. I'm speaking to you as a, a Christian who has the Bible <laughs> and wants to help people. And, and therapy has its place, and those things have their place. But my problem with that definition is that it's way too narrow. The word trauma, it comes from a Greek word. You know what that word means? <laughs> it means wound. The Greek word that we get trauma from, it means wound. It's any event that causes a wound to our mind, emotions, or spirit. I like that definition. What is trauma? It's any event that causes a wound, an injury to our mind, our emotions, or our spirit. Uh, A chaplain told me this not too long ago, and man, I love this definition. He said, you know what trauma is? It's an event or series of events that pushes one beyond their ability to cope. I love that. We can look at the clinical definition. It's just so narrow that it isolates so many people from getting the help that they need. But when we say that trauma is an event or series of events that pushes one beyond their ability to cope, then it doesn't specifically matter what the event is. It just matters that that event has pushed us to a place where we're so consumed with what we're dealing with that we can't function in a healthy, normal way in our relationships, in our workplaces, and in the rest of our life. Pushes us beyond our ability to cope. It's that moment in time that casts a shadow over your heart and mind well after the event is past. Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 19. Jeremiah said this, Woe is me for my hurt. My wound is grievous, but I said, truly this is a grief, and I must bear it. He said, my wound is grievous. That wound that pushes us beyond our ability to cope is that traumatic event. It's amazing because when the chain of an event attaches itself to you and prevents you from fully living the life that God desires for you to live, it doesn't necessarily keep you from functioning. This is one of the interesting things about trauma. Pushing you beyond your ability to cope, it doesn't mean that you're not continuing to function. It just means that you're not living to your God-given ability. Um, yesterday I was, I was uh, running through a neighborhood and there was this little teeny dog. It was about this big. I mean, you could have kicked it from here to the back of the room and... It was coming at me fast. I'm not saying I would have done that. I'm saying you could have done that. And it was coming at me fast, and uh, I wasn't thinking right, and there wasn't a lot of blood flow and oxygen and stuff. So uh, I was getting ready to figure out how I was going to navigate this little dog. And I didn't see that he was tied up. He had a long uh, rope, and the, the owner of the house had this, like, like clothesline out in the front yard, and he was tied to that so he could run back and forth and he could go a long way. But as soon as he about got to me, he came as hard as he could and ended up back there somewhere because that thing like, Trauma can be like that, right? That dog could function. It could run around and it could bark and it could even scare me a little bit and make me think bad thoughts about little dogs. I mean, it could do all of that, but there was a limit. You know what trauma does? It limits us. It prevents us from fully being what God has created us to be. There's something back here that we're tied to, and because we're tied to it, we can come out here, but we can't go any further than this when God has something for you over there. We need to define it. What is it? It's an event or series of events that pushes you beyond your ability to cope. 
It's that thing, those events that keep you from fully being what God has created you to be. That removes the restriction. (laughs) It means if you're struggling, if you're suffering, if you're not able to move forward, you need to deal with whatever that thing is. Number two, so we've settled on a definition. Number two, understand the impact. Understand the impact of trauma. So we can disqualify ourselves if our definition is wrong. Next, we can then say, well, this is not a big deal. (laughs) It's, It's okay, it's my thing. We need to understand the impact of trauma from the perspective of creation. God created us perfect, and sin distorts what is good. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Genesis 1.31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. We run to Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. All right, this is the key. God created us perfect. God created us exactly how he wanted to. Sin perverts and distorts. When we talk about trauma, there is a, a mechanism that we have given, been given to us by God. The limbic system, it is our subconscious brain. It stores information, and it stores it to use later on. We respond subconsciously, or we respond without thinking, to information we may have gotten in another place, and God put that in us to keep us safe. You can train this system, and often in law enforcement, in the military, you do the same repetitive motion again and again and again so that you'll respond automatically. What is that? We've trained the limbic system to respond without thought. But God put this fail-safe in us. Imagine you're driving down a road in Afghanistan, and you see a little red Toyota, and you pass that Toyota, and it blows up. People are hurt. Your brain stores that information. You're back in the United States and you see a little red Toyota and your blood pressure goes up, your heart rate goes up, you start to sweat, you start to panic a little bit because you see that your brain is saying, hey, last time we were in this situation, something bad happened. That's a fail safe. God put that in us to keep us out of danger. So many other examples we could give to that, but it's something that God created for good, but that then is distorted. The right thing in the wrong place becomes the wrong thing. An example we often use is the example of sitting in a forward operating base uh, in Iraq or Afghanistan, and uh, every afternoon about the same time, the mortar rounds come in. This was very common. The mortar rounds come in. You become accustomed to it. You almost start to dismiss it. You're in your um, sleeping quarters, and the mortars start to come in, and so you rush to get your boots on and to get to where you need to go. Your rack mate, the person who is in that room with you, not in a hurry anymore. They've gotten used to this. This isn't a big deal anymore. You start to scream at them. We've got to get out of here. The mortar rounds are falling. He looks up at you and says, this happens every day, and right about that time, one falls inside that room, and he loses his life. Now you find yourself at home, and it's years later, you're trying to get your three-year-old out the door for her soccer game, (laughs) and she's just not getting her shoes on fast enough. Now this sounds silly, but what happens is your brain clicks and says, last time we were in a similar situation to this, 
someone died. A good thing at the wrong time becomes the wrong thing. Your heart rate goes up, you start to sweat, you start to panic, and if you're not careful, you lose it on your three-year-old because she's not getting her shoes on fast enough. You see, God created it for good, but it can become distorted or broken. Here's what this means. It means a lot of things, but one of the things it means is that post-traumatic stress does not make you disordered. You're not broken because your limbic system, your subconscious brain, this fail-safe that God put into you, you're not broken because it's doing what God created it to do. When we throw disorder on the backside of post-traumatic stress, uh, we, whether we acknowledge it or not, what we're saying is there's something wrong with me that I can never recover from. And so we can settle into this, I'm disordered or I'm broken. No, your body, your mind, it's, it's responding to trauma the way that God designed for it to respond. You're not broken. The situation's broken. <laughs> the situation's distorted, disordered, but you're not. But what you can then do is acknowledge, I know that when I put myself in this situation or when I find myself in this situation, Bad things happen. I respond in a way that's not healthy, so I'll stay out of that situation instead of just dismissing bad behavior. There is a real impact. The right response at the wrong time is something that hurts us and those around us. We can allow a memory of an event to dominate our lives. As I just mentioned, we excuse bad behavior, we can find our identity in trauma. We reject those that we consider to be unqualified help. We create a world designed to meet our needs. And ultimately, we limit the work that God desires to do in us and through us. We respond to trauma the way we were created to respond to trauma. But because of sin and brokenness, if we're not careful, we can hide behind that and behave badly (laughs) and expect everyone else to just get on board. We're not broken or disordered, which takes us to number three. We settle on a definition. We understand the impact. But number three, we have to refuse to be broken. Refuse to be broken. We are all spiritual beings, and so we must, when dealing with trauma, respond in a spiritual way. Different types of trauma may require a different approach, but the solution is the same, even if the approach to the solution is different. The trauma itself is the problem, not our natural response to it. And I want to make a point here, and and I do want to be careful. Um, I'm not suggesting that all trauma needs to be dealt with in the exact same way. There are professionals in specific disciplines and specific areas that can be very, very helpful. And we need to let those people be helpful. But we also have to understand that underlying all of that is the spiritual. We have to address trauma, regardless of where it comes from, from a spiritual perspective. We have to decide that we are not going to be broken. Viktor Frankl is someone that... um, I quote after often, and again, I need to be careful, 
Um, to my knowledge, he was not a Christian. He was a psychiatrist. His experience was that of a Jewish psychiatrist interred in a concentration camp during World War II. He was interred for four and a half years. Um, his wife and unborn child were sent to a different concentration camp, and they were both killed there. He wrote a book called uh, Man's Search for Meaning. Um, I gave this to my dad not too long ago, and his only response to me back was, it's amazing how even unsaved people can find the truth of God. <laughs> that was like his, that was his exp- uh, explanation of that. Again, yeah, no, that's what I meant. Um, but he observed different people in different environments, and he watched how some people going through this extremely traumatic event of being in a concentration camp did well, and others did not do so well. And he came to a couple conclusions. One of the conclusions was this, an abnormal reaction to an abnormal situation is normal behavior, right? That's a good quote. An abnormal reaction to an abnormal situation is normal behavior. You say, well, I'm responding in an abnormal way. If the situation is that bad, you responding abnormally is pretty normal behavior. Let yourself off the hook. (laughs) It's okay. But he then made this statement. I love this statement. Again, observing folks in the concentration camps and seeing how some did well and others did not. He said, everything can be taken from a man but one thing. The last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstance, to choose one's own way. Between stimulus and response, there is space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. Man, what a great statement. There's one thing they can't take away from you, he said. The ability to decide how you will respond. There's space between stimulus, that's what happens, and response. And in that space, that's where there is real power to decide what you're going to do. So what do we need to do? Number one, realize it is good to talk about what you have been through and seek out those who will understand. You've broadened your definition of trauma You understand that it's an event or series of events that pushes one beyond their ability to cope. You understand the impact. God created something good, and because of sin and brokenness, it can be perverted. The the right thing at the wrong time becomes the wrong thing. I can't dismiss bad behavior. I'm not broken or disordered, but I can't dismiss how I'm behaving. So, what do I do? I'm going to choose to not be broken. What's the path? Realize that it's good to talk about what you have been through and seek out those who will understand. That is why there's so much power in getting together with other like-minded folks and being able to decompress what you're going through. Uh, part of our program, we, it's five days long and we talk about a lot of different things. But probably the most powerful part of what we do is getting men or women, depending on the program, together who have a similar background and similar experience And then all week long, there's testimony, testimony from our instructors, testimony from team leaders, testimony from leadership. And at the end of the week, we ask every student to give their testimony. It's shared stories and shared experience. They're offloading that with people of like mind and like backgrounds. There's a lot of peace that comes with that. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10 says this, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down. 
which accused them before our God day and night. (laughs) Man, accused them before God day and night. Verse 11, and they overcame him. How'd they do that? By the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto death. There's so much power in our testimony, so much power in our story. Realize it is good to talk about what you've been through and seek out those who will understand. Number two, refuse to allow the past to define you. I've said this a number of times, but this is an ongoing daily refusal to allow your past to define you. Uh, Anyone who's done counseling knows that this is a major, major issue for so many people that we get over it. And then we come back to it, and we get over it, and we come back to it. And we, get, uh, we give this to God, and we allow him to have it, and then we pick it back up. Refuse to allow your past to define you. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. I love Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, because it follows Romans chapter 7, where Paul declares, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? I mean, that's strong language. He then turns the page as he comes into chapter 8 and verse 1 and says, there is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Walk. It is that daily decision to get up again and again and again and again and again. And if you need to give it to God again and again and again, do it. But refuse to allow the past to define you. You are not your past. You are your identity wrapped up in your Savior, Jesus Christ. And yet so often we identify with our trauma because it is comfortable. I don't understand this. I can relate to it. I know what it feels like, but I can't explain it. Sometimes we just like to be broken. (laughs) We love to hate it, but we understand it. My kids were watching that show Hoarders a while ago. You ever watch that show? That's a weird one. I watched like half an episode, and I just couldn't do it after that. Like That was it. But it's, it's a show, if you haven't seen it, do yourself a favor and go watch three minutes of it, and you'll never want to do it again. But it's a show where there's these hoarders, right, people who live in their homes, and they collect, but they never get rid of anything, including, like, trash and other stuff. The episode that I watched, this lady had, had collected so much stuff around her, she couldn't even get out of the chair she had in the middle of her living room. I mean, she went to the bathroom there. She ate. Everything was there. Stacked stuff. It was terrible. Her kids tried to get her out of there, tried to do a lot of things. This show was about her kids coming together, paying for this company to come in and clean all this thing out, restore her home, and give her a fresh start. That's a pretty neat, heartwarming story. (laughs) You know how it ended? She sat in her living room and started crying because they took all of her stuff away. Isn't that crazy? I mean, this woman was sitting in the middle of her own filth, couldn't move. They cleaned it up. They gave her a fresh start. And she lost her identity. That's what I got out of it. My kids just got a show out of it. They're not deep thinkers at all. (laughs) You know what's crazy? That's how a lot of us act. We don't want to get rid of our trauma because we're so wrapped up in it. If that goes away, then who are we? If this marriage thing we've been hanging on to, hanging over our spouse's head for 20 years goes away, then what do we have? If I stop talking about how my kids do this thing, then what do I have? If I stop pointing at other people and the hurt they caused me, then what do I have? It's like we're sitting in the midst of our own filth and we're afraid that if someone takes it away, our identity's gone. 
we have to refuse to be broken, which requires number three, we need to replace bad behavior with good ones. Replace bad behaviors with good ones. This is so helpful. When we talk about the response to trauma and, and some of those things that, you know, I told, talked about having that mortar attack in uh, Iraq and then you're trying to help your kids. You put yourself in those situations. Uh, you know that you're going to behave badly. So don't put yourself in those bad situations where you'll respond badly. But replace those behaviors with good ones. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. The bad behaviors, the bad responses, replace those with good ones. Putting on the new. This is very active. Replacing bad behaviors with good ones. Number four, Restore the relationships that have been lost in the wake of trauma. Restore the relationships that have been lost in the wake of trauma. This is absolutely essential. If you have hurt people in the process of dealing with your own trauma, you need to restore those relationships. John chapter 20 and verse 19, then the same day at evening being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, Where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. I love this picture. Jesus went through the trauma of the cross and all that was involved in that. That trauma that he experienced pushed his disciples away. They all left him. After he was placed in the tomb, they went and hid, gathered together, but hid. I have no idea what they would have done after that if Jesus hadn't come and presented himself to them and restored a relationship that was broken because of trauma. And the Bible says that when that relationship was restored, the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And we know the rest of the story. They went out and turned the world upside down. There is often collateral damage to the traumas that we endure, and we need to acknowledge that and do everything we can to restore those relationships. We refuse to be broken. We refuse to be identified by our traumas and our past. We replace bad behaviors with good ones. We restore those relationships. Uh, That is very holistic. Ultimately, we need to decide to choose life. Choose life. I think the biggest tragedy of trauma, I mean, there's so much hurt, and again, we could talk about the type, types of trauma and all that people have to deal with and endure. It's, it's unbelievable. And, and many of you have, have and are experiencing that. It's unbelievable, the pain that humans inflict on each other. But really the biggest tragedy of all of that is that on the other side of that event... Because of the trauma and because of the hurt and because of the brokenness, people stop living. We have to decide that we are going to choose life. We can't change what's happened to us. We can't change what's happened, uh, what is taking place behind us. But we can choose 
to move forward for the glory of God. Deuteronomy 30, 19, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live. That both thou and thy seed may live. You can't change those events, but you can respond to them in a way that allows God to continue to work in your life. This is what the gospel message is all about. We talk about trauma. This is what the gospel message is all about. What is the gospel? It's death. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, all of sin comes short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It doesn't get more traumatic than that. On the other side of that trauma, we see hopelessness. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. (laughs) Death because of sin, hopelessness as a consequence of that death. But because of Christ and the decision to pursue him, there is life. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. There is life, and with that life comes victory. 1 Corinthians 15.57, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 10 and verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I love it. (laughs) I love it. The great trauma of humanity is rebellion against a holy God, sin, death, and hopelessness. And yet there is victory because of Jesus Christ, restoration, and new life the gospel message the bible tells us in john chapter 10 10 that the thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy and man if that isn't what life is all about i'm glad that it goes on i am come jesus said that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly Trauma loses its grip when we bring it out of the dark and let it see the light. Trauma exposed will transform from a chain that limits you and God's work through you to a redeemed tool used to give hope and healing to others who are broken. You won't forget it. You won't get over it. You will have to choose daily that it will not have a grip on you. But you can choose You are not broken. It's a very simple lesson this afternoon. But listen, I've lived long enough and experienced enough and talked to enough people to know that this is where all of us live. 
we've got to broaden our definition enough to find ourselves in it somewhere. What's the event or series of events that's pushed you in one area or another beyond your ability to cope? That thing that's grabbed a hold of your brain and you can't get rid of it. That thing that keeps you chained up. You can move around a little bit and you might even look like you're functioning pretty well, but if you run hard enough, you're going to hit the end of that thing and it's going to pull you back because you're hanging on. What is it? We all have it. What is it? Understand that God created us perfect and he created systems within us that receive information and process that information in a way that will keep us safe in the future. That's a wonderful thing. And if it's working the way God intended, then you're not broken, you're not disordered. But perhaps you respond the right way in the wrong setting and it becomes wrong. (laughs) Know that, acknowledge it, don't blame what happened to you or blame God for creating you in a broken way. Place those bad behaviors with new ones. Refuse to be broken. Make a decision to move forward. Restore whatever broken relationships you have in your life. And let God do the work that only God can do. God is the giver of life. But we have to do this. We've got to let go of whatever we've been hanging on to. Open our hands. Say, God, I'm yours. Do with me as you please. This is where we live. This is where the people that we know live. Going back to the message this morning, we have to make a decision. What are you going to do? I hope there's help and hope in that for you this afternoon. Let's pray. And I will be done. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you again for the opportunity to be in this place. I thank you even for just having a few minutes to talk about this issue of trauma. And I know it's much deeper and bigger and we could spend hours breaking this down and working through it. But I thank you, God, that you didn't make us disordered or broken. Sin has perverted and broken what you made right but you are the restorer you are the giver of life we see this so clearly reflected in the gospel death and hopelessness life restoration and victory because of you pray for every person here this morning, this afternoon. Whatever it is each person may be dealing with, going through, experiencing. If there's something there they're hanging on to, something they're identifying with, other than who you are. God, I pray you'd surround them with the right people. That they'd understand the hope you give them the courage to make the decision to refuse to be broken. And God, we thank you even now for the victory that will be found. I thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. 
If you have questions about your relationship with God, or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.